Reverend John Ferret and wanted to bring up a concept that one can find in Psalm 15 and many other places. But in Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3, we read, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Now when we look at this, the concept I like to call head, heart, hands, and feet. Head, heart, hands, and feet. Now it's really not my uh, way of calling this concept. It was really Ray Vanderland, who was my first teacher back in Israel back in the year 2000 when my wife and I went to Israel on his Bible study trip, which is just amazing. And he talked about the concept of head, heart, hands, and feet. And we see that in Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3. So we talk about in verse 2, He who walks with integrity, in other words, there's feet, who works righteousness. Now, working righteousness here, the word there for works is pa'al. The uh, Strong's number is G6466. And... In the Gesenius lexicon, it talks about making something, doing something, or even building something. Well, that means you're doing something with your hands. So it implies working with your hands. So he who walks with his integrity, feet, he who works with righteousness, the implication is working with your hands, who speaks truth, where do you speak from your head, uh, and speaks truth in his heart. Uh, and again, we have heart in here. Who does not slander with his tongue. Again, there we have the idea of the head. This is where we speak. Nor does evil to his neighbor. The implication is something about doing something to our neighbor, maybe with our hands. Nor takes up reproach against his friend. When we look at this, the concept of head, heart, hands, and feet, biblically, when we talk about our head, this is the place, from a biblical point of view, where we talk, we hear, we listen, we taste. Our head is an input-output device. From a biblical point of view, the heart is the brain. The heart is our thoughts and our mental processes. So, from a biblical point of view, we, men and women, are empty-headed. The head is just an input-output device, and the heart is pictured as our mind, not emotions. Emotions is something completely different. We'll leave that aside. That has everything to do with the kidneys. From a biblical point of view in the ancient Hebrew culture. So, head is an input-output device. Our heart is where is our mental processes, our thoughts, etc. We have our hands, the works of our hands, uh, the things that we produce, the things that uh, 
uh, we actually construct. And then obviously our feet is the way we walk. And that's got a lot to do with the idea of walking in obedience to God or not walking with obedience to God. A good way of looking at it is this. When you study this concept of head, heart, hands, and feet, you're really saying, or God is really teaching us, especially throughout the Torah, throughout the prophets, throughout the writings of the Hebrew scriptures, we're really saying, are we sheep of the shepherd? God says, or David's writing in Psalm 23, that the Lord is, a, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says he is the good shepherd. So therefore, are we walking as sheep with the Lord? Have we chosen to follow him, to obey him, to serve him? And if we do, obviously, there's a distinction between those who are the sheep of the shepherd, God, and those who are not. One way this is seen in terms of the separation is the aspects of our head, heart, hands, and feet. Sometimes when you're reading in the Hebrew Scriptures and you actually are looking at this concept of head, heart, hands, and feet, you'll see that sometimes you have them portrayed positively and sometimes they're portrayed negatively. So an example, in Deuteronomy 27.15, Deuteronomy 27.15, God is talking about, through Moses, about making an idol, that's the work of one's hands, and the person is going to be judged by God because of the work of their hands is making an idol. Another one is Deuteronomy 31.29, God is talking through Moses again about Israel in the end of days. And they're going to provoke God to anger because of the work of their hands. So here's, here's a negative idea. There are wicked people out there. There are evil people out there who are not the sheep of the true shepherd, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, the Jacob, uh, the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible. And they're provoking God. They're uh, coming against God because the work of their hands are making idols or even Israel, God's people. In the end of days, they're provoking God to anger because of the work of their hands. However, we can also talk about the positive side of it. Deuteronomy 24, 19. The Lord is going to bless his people. He's going to bless the work of their hands. So in this case, in Deuteronomy 24, 19, we're again looking at the fact that those who are of the flock of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who are of the flock of Yeshua, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that indeed the Lord will bless the work of our hands. Another one in Psalm 28, verse 4. The, the, the wicked, God is going to punish them because of the work of their hands. But in Psalm 90, 17, it's positive because the righteous they will have their work of their hands confirmed, supported, and established. So you can actually have a, a fantastic Bible study. And I'm talking about from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. If you keep this concept of head, heart, hands, and feet in mind, and to see how God is teaching us via this, Let's take a look at Isaiah 
chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. And we read, Where will you be stricken again? As you continue in your rebellion, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, and there's nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. So again, what we have is head, heart, hands, and feet. The head is sick. The heart is faint. Again, here, biblically, when you actually go through the Old Testament and go into the ancient Hebrew culture, the head obviously is this input-output device. The heart is not emotions. It's not your feelings. This is your mental processes, your mental capabilities. From the sole of your foot, the foot is your walk with God or your walk against God. Going on in those verses, we won't read them all. We come to the end of uh, those verses, more close to uh, 15. And God is saying, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, here we go with hands, I will hide my eyes for you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 15, this concept of head, heart, hands, and feet is so clear. Another place is in the Torah, in Exodus 29, verses 19 through 20. Then you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's ear and on the lobes of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the toes of their right feet and sprinkle the rest of the blood around on the altar. Now this is Exodus 29 and this is where God is instructing actually Moses to actually um, consecrate Aaron as high priest and also his sons as priests. And so they take some of the blood of the ram, put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumbs of his right hands, and on the toes of their right feet. Now in Torah commentary, there's a great Messianic uh, Torah scholar by the name of Tim Haig, and he, along with Sarna, who wrote the JPS Torah commentary for the book of Exodus, and the JPS Torah commentary is, is probably one of the, the most critical Torah commentaries, Jewish Torah commentaries there are. Both of them agree that here we're talking about these body parts. We're talking about the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of their right hand, and the big toe of their right feet. And with regards to these body parts, in the ancient Middle East... And among the ancient Hebrews, the right hand symbolizes one's work. Aaron's hand definitely was dedicated to the daily work of the sacrifices to the Lord. Feet symbolize his walk according to God's ways, maintaining his right standing before God. And the lobe of his right ear is hearing God. Hearing God, listening to his word, and obeying God, and following his ways. There's a number of other verses that deal with the heart. We'll take a look at Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, because we're going to take a look at the heart is the most critical 
in this concept of head, heart, hands, and feet. So Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. There it is. I search the heart. I test the mind. This is interesting because here in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, we're beginning to see how the heart and the mind are connected. I search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, his feet, according to the results of his deeds, his hands. So again, the implication here in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 is the heart is the source of us living righteously or living against God according to the way we walk. Ah. Uh, walking in the ways of God or not, or even by the deeds of our hands. Jesus talks about this. I'm going to talk about this in Matthew 15, 18 through 19. So he definitely is must be referring to Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. Jesus says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth, head, come from the heart, from the mind, and those defile the man. For out of the heart, the mind, come evil thoughts. Yes, thoughts are coming out of our mind, our heart. Out of the heart comes murders. Okay, murders. How do you commit murder? By your hands. Adulteries, which is you got to walk to the place where you can commit adultery, and then it's also the work of, work of your hands. Fornications, hands, thefts, hands, false witnesses, head, and slanders is the head. So, Right here in Matthew 15, 8 through 18 through 19, we talk about the fat of the heart, the head, the hands, and an implication of the feet as well. Now, these verses deal with more than the heart. Jeremiah shows that from an evil heart, a man's walk in his life, his feet, and his deeds, or what he produces, are affected adversely by his heart, Yeshua, in one short verse, gives us the whole concept, head, heart, hands, and feet. And so therefore I suggest feet, since a man who does murder or sexual sin, or is a thief or lies or slanders, is not walking according to the ways of the Lord. So you can say there's an implication that all of it's there in Jesus' statement. So over and over again, we see this concept, head, heart, hands, and feet, played out in the Bible. I, I As... A person, if you ever do this, if you're reading Psalms, all the way from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, a fun thing to do is to actually pay attention to head, heart, hands, and feet. If you actually are reading Psalms and keep this in mind, you're just going to find it everywhere, all over the place. Let's take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua's teaching, and in one place, in one place, one set of verses, the very words of God, Jesus is talking about head, heart, hands, and feet. And this is in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard it, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman, head, again, obviously the input-output device, looks at a woman with lust for her, 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, he sees her, he desires her, and all of a sudden the idea, the mental decision to have adultery with her is a mental decision that he's made. If your right eye, head, makes you stumble, feet, in other words, obviously you are stumbling, you're committing adultery, you are not walking according to the Ten Commandments. You are actually turning away from the way God has instructed you to walk. So if, um, again, your right eye, uh, head makes you stumble, feet, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And so indeed we have the concept of head, heart, hands, and feet. And in regards to hand, committing adultery is not, it's going to be a physical action and it's not about walking, it's also going to be about hands. What, what's the result of your mental attitude and your mental decisions in terms of the lust that was created in you? Another really important place we talk about head, heart, hands, and feet. It's in the Last Supper. If you recall, Jesus went to wash the feet of the disciples. And he comes to Peter. This is in John 13, 6 through 9. Listen to this. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now you understand what head, heart, hands, and feet is now. Feet, therefore, is a symbol of our walk with God or our walk away from God. It's a symbol, it's a picture of us being sheep of the good shepherd or sheep of another shepherd. So again, comes to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, what I do, you do not realize what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then now we get the impression that Peter said, Give me a bath. Wash all of me. He doesn't say that. Peter says this exactly. Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. This alludes to the consecration of the high priests. What's Peter saying? His feet, it's a new walk following Yeshua. His hands, a new work to be a fisher of men. And his head to teach like his rabbi and to hear like his rabbi and to have eyes to see the truth in Jesus. So as I mentioned, this concept that my first teacher, Ray Vanderland, put together in terms of the title, Head, Heart, Hands, and Feet, I've taken that from that summer in 2000, and I've gone into it a lot deeper, and I, it's, it's everywhere. It's as if it's a way God is giving us a picture 
It's just like the picture of us as branches in the true vine. It's us as a picture of being sheep of the good shepherd. Head, heart, hands, and feet. A picture of are we ones who are the sheep of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or we have chosen another sheep, another worldview, another false view of truth, which means following Hasatan, the adversary. We know that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is a typical Jewish immersion. It's not Christian baptism at all. And John's baptism was an immersion of repentance, teshuva. But teshuva, in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, does not mean turning from sin. How can Jesus turn from sin when he is sinless? Teshuva, in the Jewish mind of 2,000 years ago, is to turn from one thing to another. Like turning away from sin. But it's not turning away from sin. It's turning from one thing to another. Turning back to God. So with regards to Jesus' immersion, his immersion of teshuva, how does Jesus turn back to God? What is he doing? So I suggest to you the following. Jesus is baptized. He starts his ministry. He's on a mission. He begins his role as Messiah. And he wants to take his entire life because he's the firstborn of Mary, he's the head of the family, and he's going to turn his entire life because God says, this is my beloved son. He's basically saying, I was the eldest son of Mary, but now I'm turning to my father. I'm now turning to live out what it means to be his beloved son. He will turn to Shuvah, not turning away from sin, but turning to his father. He's dedicating himself. Dedicating his entire body. His total being. To the mission. To the mission that has been established for him. We could say he's going to dedicate himself, head, heart, hands, and feet. His whole body. His whole body going to the cross. Now in Luke 23 and 24, we read that Yeshua dies and is quickly laid in the tomb since the feast of Passover was about to start. And the women had no chance to anoint Jesus' body, to wash it normally as is the Jewish practice to wash a body before it's finally buried to prepare it for resurrection. And they do that with spices, ointments, and, uh, ointments and so on. Now, they come early on the first day of the week to finish the anointing. Now, the concept of head, heart, hands, and feet is a picture. It's a picture also of how we sin. We talked about that at the beginning. 
where in Deuteronomy, those wicked people who are building idols are committing an abomination according to the works of their hands. Or Jesus talking about adulteries coming out of our heart, evil thoughts coming out of our heart. So you can see head, heart, hands, and feet is a picture of where we sin. And so we come to that time when the girls come to the tomb. And in Luke 23, starting in verse 50 through Luke 24, verse 4, they're going to come to anoint Jesus. He died for our sins. Where were they going to anoint him? They anointed him on his head, his hands, his heart, and his feet. The places where Jesus bled and were injured for us. Head, heart, hands, and feet. Everything that we take a look at in the Bible about head, hearts, and feet, it comes to the cross. And Jesus is wounded, head, heart, hands, and feet. So that indeed his blood washes us clean from the places that are a picture of where we sin. I wanted to conclude with something from Numbers 15, verses 37 through 41. This is a Torah command. It is a, again, a picture of God trying to help his people, especially the men, how to live each day in such a way that they are maintaining their righteous standing with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in Numbers 15, 37 through 41, we read, The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make hands for themselves tassels. This is what you would find, that tzitzit, the tzitzit, the tassel that is on the corner of their prayer shawls, plural is tzitziot, not fringes, these are tassels. So to make for themselves tzitziot or tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they shall put, again hand, okay, on the tassel of each corner of court of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at, your head, and remember, heart, this is a mental aspect. To remember is in the heart all the commandments of God, so as to do them, which implicates hand and feet, to walk in God's ways and to actually produce your life so that it is glorifying to God. And then not to follow your feet after your own heart. And again, your own heart. God says in Genesis 6, 5, before the flood and then after the flood, that the intention or inclination of man's heart is to sin continually. So God is saying, that's your heart. 
not to follow after that. And your own eyes, head, after which you played the harlot, feet, and perhaps even hands, so that you may remember, how do you remember your heart, your mind, to do, hand, feet, all of my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Head, heart, hands and feet. We Christians don't wear tassels. We don't have tzitzit on our prayer shawls because we don't have any prayer shawls. That's obviously part of Jewish custom, Jewish tradition. But how much do we need a reminder each and every day of the cost that the Lord paid so that we, we can be cleansed, head, heart, hands, and feet. We should have a picture. We should create our own tzitzit, tassels that we have, perhaps put it in our pocket, carry it in our jacket. I actually wear one. It's a reminder every day of the cross where Jesus was crucified and bled from the head, heart, hands, and feet. Shalom.